This is a Hoff Studios podcast. Hi, Kimmy. How you doing? Hello. Well, it's funny. <laughs> I, I, I realize, like, I know you as, well, Kimmy Pakovsky in Montreal. Right. And you're like this whole other person, Kim Kushner, in Manhattan with, are they best-selling cookbooks? Yes, they are best-selling cookbooks. I still am the same person, but what I always say is that the people who call me Kimmy, like I remember I was on a city bus in New York not long ago, and I heard somebody yelling, Kimmy! And I just know that those are people from my childhood, yeah. you know, I'm looking around, who could it be? Um, so, yes. So, people still, some people still call you Kimmy? Sure, okay, of course. Good. Uh, people who really know me, my old, old friends, I'm, I'm Kimmy to, to all of those people. And to my mom, for sure, because every time your for cookbook sure. comes out, she's so, like, I'm going to use the word for clamped. She's so proud and so choked up. She's like, did you see Kimmy's new book? It's delicious. It's gorgeous. And it's true. It absolutely is. How, there are three of Thank them you. already? This is my fourth book. The latest one is my fourth cookbook. Um, four cookbooks and four children later. Yes. Yes. That's a lot on your plate. Get it? Plate? You see what I did there? <laughs> That's a lot. It's a lot. I like a full plate. Did you like a full plate? Yes. Um, I'm, I'm like reading your writing um, in your cookbook and you speak so beautifully on the topic of food, which is so different for me because I just like, I have bought in whole hog to the diet culture right. and I don't know how you didn't. Like you really somehow seem to have like preserved what food really is meant to do. Well, in your eyes, can you can you describe what what food is, how you engage with it? It's thank you. Um, I think I'm very lucky because food has always been presented to me since I was a child as something beautiful, something to celebrate, something that brings people together, and I've never. Um, I was never exposed to like anything negative when it came to food. My family, as you know, loves to eat. Yeah. We love to stuff our faces. Yeah. We love to, that's where the, the happy moments happen. That's where the sad moments happen. That's where the screaming happens. It's always around the table and there's always food there. So I think growing up that way, just as an extension of my childhood, I, I view food the same way and that's how I, use it in my life. And I love gathering. There's nothing I love more than bringing people together around good food, good drink. Um, and then also in the bad times in life, it's like when I don't know what to do for a friend who's going through a hard time or, you know, when, when I don't know what to do, that's what I do. Mm. I bake a cake, I'll cook a soup mm. and it's a healer and it's a connector because at the end of the day, we all need to eat. Mm. And I think that it really brings people together and communicates something that I might not otherwise be able to communicate. Yeah, you talk about your mom, who I, I know, mm -hmm. Judy. Um, mm -hmm. And it's so true, what you write about her, that she her doors were always open. Mm -hmm. And it, I had the same experience. Like at my Shabbat table, there were more often than not people that I didn't know, Mm -hmm. that maybe were shy because they didn't have any place to go. There were always right. the regulars, for sure. Right. But but we grew up in a very similar way where food was a way for us to have this, um, 
you know, loving experience, even if we didn't have much in common, even if we didn't really even know each other. I remember mm-hmm. your um, going to your Mimunas, which is mm-hmm. the, like, w- how would you describe it? So uh, Mimuna is like a traditional um, Moroccan party that happens on the night that Passover ends. Mm. And so Passover ends and then you could take out all of your... Um, um, all of your chametz and you celebrate and it brings good luck and prosperity and you go from home to home um, eating delicious foods and just celebrating the end of the pass- Passover and beginning of a new chapter. And it's really fun and colorful and festive. I mean, I guess in Morocco, you'd go from home to home, but you grew up in Montreal where I think there were, where Montre- there, there was a huge Moroccan community. Is that right? Huge Moroccan community. Um, and we would really go from home to home and it was really like fun for the teenagers. It was a party night. You would get dressed up. And it's so funny you're bringing it up because it always bothered me that my kids have not experienced, really experienced it. The truth is like the older generation, um, like my mom stopped doing it. Like they're tired no. after the holiday. Yeah. <gasps> so they don't do, you know, my mom will do it at home for the grandkids, but we don't do a whole big event like we used to. But it's so funny that during Passover this year, I said to my husband, I'm like, it really sucks. Like this was the highlight of my year. And now my kids don't even know. And my boys are teenagers. It's so fun. So I decided to start a new tradition. And the week, uh, it's the night Passover ends is a little too aggressive for me. So I am doing it. <laughs> New York style. So I do it the Saturday night after Passover ends. Nice. And this year was the first year I did it. And I had a huge celebration in my apartment. Amazing. And I told my kids, invite all your friends. And I put on the Moroccan, the Jilaba. And I had all the traditional foods. And it was so fun. That's amazing. I went to a Mimuna this past <clears throat> Passover also. And I think something... I think, you know, Adina Sussman wrote something in the foreword of your book. Adina Sussman is also a, a, a best-selling cookbook author. She's she's also an amazing chef and balabusta, a, a hostess, but and a great writer. Um, but she wrote something about your book, which felt so, rings so true to me, which is that just as we're emerging from this isolated period in the world, we're really needing and wanting a book that's calling for togetherness mm-hmm. you know and and the book itself is about hosting right it's it's mm-hmm. intended to sort of walk us through how to host a dinner party and you know for me like i love to bring people together actually the note that you wrote me when you sent me the book was i know you don't like to cook or clean which mm-hmm. is true although i am getting more and more inspired but I do love to bring people together and Mm -hmm. food can be such a tool in that absolutely yes and I love Adina is a dear friend she's amazing on so many levels probably the most generous human being that I know Um, and it's true what she what she wrote is true and that's really this idea for this book came to me like in the thick of the isolation where I was really missing hosting my gatherings and and hosting dinner parties and Shabbats and I said you know what when we come out of this everybody is going to want to be together and so this is a great time to write this book yeah it's it's actually also where I sort of conceived of this podcast because I think that well I think that 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 lonely feeling that dark sad feeling sometimes the harder bits of life can be a portal to a lot of inspiration and a lot of um 
service, right? Because here, at least in in my corner of the world, talking is something that I'm good at, you know, like Mm -hmm. sharing, sharing space, holding space is something that comes naturally to me. And and I think a similar way that cooking feels for you. Right. I think women need to feel that togetherness. Mm -hmm. I really do. I think we all do. But, um, I've been following you for a while and I know that you're sometimes very active on social media and sometimes not, which I respect. Um, Mm -hmm. But one of the times that I um, sort of saw you share vulnerably about your own self was around being, is it a previvor? Is that what that's called? Yes. Of Mm -hmm. breast cancer. And I know that Mm -hmm. you're like relatively private. Mm-hmm. Um, which I also very much respect being someone who is decidedly an oversharer. But, um, <laughs> but I, I was really moved by the fact that you, you shared this bit about your life that was outside of the food conversation completely. So mm-hmm. I wanted to just open up um, around that. How did you find out that you needed to take action around um, protecting right. yourself? So um, I had taken like a genetic test Um, at the time. My brother-in-law was very sick and my husband was testing and he met with a genetic counselor who said, you know, you should really send your wife in so you have a full family history. And I said to my husband, I'm not going to test positive for BRCA because there's no cancer in my family and my mother's from Morocco and it doesn't show up in the Sephardics and, you know, and I pushed it off and... I ended up going to do it because it was something my husband really wanted me to do. And I actually said to myself, I'll just do this to like shut him up. He'll be happy. He'll feel good. And I didn't even tell anybody. And I took this genetic test and the results came back, I think a week or two later. And they said to me, you tested positive for the BRCA2 gene, which is what, which gives, which gives me a significantly higher chance of developing breast and or ovarian cancer. So what is significant? Um, what is significant? Like, um, I, I think it's upwards of 70% for breast wow. and for the ovarian, it's around 30%, um, past a certain age. Of course, this not only affected me, this affected my, I had to tell my family members and everybody had to, had to go test. And, um, Basically, what I did was I decided I'm not a panic of a person, but I really just wanted to educate myself and get as much information as possible and then decide what to do. And I really found a lot of information online on social media. Mm. And I connected with many women who had been BRCA2 positive and I read their stories and I learned from them and I was connected to doctors and different opinions and podcasts and and. Really, there was a wealth of information available to me, and I sifted through it. Um, and then when I finally, you know, for me, made the decision to have a prophylactic surgery, a few prophylactic surgeries. A few. When I finally, yeah. Well, for the ovarian, ovarian cancer is undetectable. So um, it's one of those that really, um, you when, when you find it, it's oftentimes too late. Wow. So, um yeah, so I had a surgery to remove my fallopian tubes, and then down the line, I will um, remove the ovaries as well. Mm. I did it in a couple of steps. Um, and then I was, it suggested that you go for mammograms every six months, and you have to have MRIs. And every time I went, they would find um, 
questionable um, markings in the breast and I would need biopsies. And at one point I just decided, you know what, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life and worry every time I'm waiting on the results. And I decided to go through with the um, preventative double mastectomy and reconstruction, which I did. And like you said, I am a private person, but I really felt that it was unfair to just take this information and to take, take, take and not give it back. And even though it's very private and it's your body and it's a woman's body and there's so much that comes with that mentally, emotionally, physically, for me, it wasn't even like I knew I was going to share this. And it was just a question of when. And once I was through the surgery and I was recovering, I thought it was the right time. And so many people have um, reached out to me and I've been able to connect so many people. And I know that I've helped people because I get so many messages. And if it was just one person, for me, that would have been enough. Um, So, you know. Like I said to my six-year-old son the other day, I'm like, you can't just take in life. You have to be a giver also. And so... You really are. I mean, even in the way that you write, you know, like I was saying about food, you know, like you have all of this information and all of this training and it seems so natural to you to pour it out, to disseminate it. You're like, I can't, I can't hold on to this good news and I can't hold on to this bad news. It really feels like you're a person who has such a a natural way of of receiving yeah but also giving and that flow feels so yummy you know really really yummy and it is hard it is hard to talk about um but I think it's really important I had no idea I don't know why but I thought that the BRCA2 and there's a one is there a one Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm I, I just thought that this gene affected just the breasts. I had no idea that it had to do with the ovaries as well. Yeah, See, I, and, there's, it, and I'm like in the women's space now, right. you know, and I'm a woman. Right. So we and don't there know. Are more, there are more connections to other cancers as well. Um, so it's, it, it covers a whole, a whole array of disease. But um, it's really important. And I feel like every day I hear about more and more women who are being diagnosed with breast cancer. I mean, one in four women receives a breast cancer diagnosis. So for me, although, of course, it was scary and I went through this big surgery and it was a tough recovery, um, I, I feel that it was, I was very lucky and we have this tremendous information available to us and I think it's important for women to test. I think every woman should test, should make a decision for themselves. I'm not saying that surgery mastectomy is for everyone, but I think information is so powerful. And the more you know, the more options you have. Mm. Um, and I think that's, that's really great. And also, since we're talking about it, I also think that um, mastectomy is not what people think it is. Oh. Um, it's, it's the surgery has come so far um, it is uh, people think of mastectomy and people think of women being their bodies being cut up and botched. And that's that's not what it is. There are such excellent surgeons out there and they do such beautiful work. You would never even know that there was a mastectomy. So women should not be afraid. You know, people are choosing to go out and have all of these um, cosmetic surgeries and they don't think twice about that. So why not think about your health and and just explore what is available to you if you're in that situation. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people, a lot of people I know have had breast 
boob jobs, right? Like right. <laughs> a lot of uh-huh. people I know and they look sure. great and they feel great uh-huh. and all of that. I mean, the the one thing that I I think about when I think about a mastectomy is pain. Like it, I've never had a surgery actually. Right. I've had a lot of so root I'm, canals I, weirdly I'm, enough. But I no, I never I'm, had I never had a surgery before this either. Mm. Um and yes, it was extremely painful, but it was. You get over it. You're strong and you know, yeah. you can get through it. People get through way worse. I'm wondering how you keep your, um, you know, your, your spirits up and through, through and, and it's possible that you didn't during the, the thick of it, right? You're, you you're only what? human. I, I, I'm human. I have my ups. I have my downs like everyone else, but I think I'm generally a positive person. Another thing I get from my mom um, and I just look around and I try to look at the glass as half full. And I don't think this is the worst thing. For me, this is not the worst thing that's happened in my life. And uh, I, if there is, you know, I always say to my husband, I'm like, if there's stress that at the end of the day will give you a light at the end of the tunnel, it's worthwhile stress. Yes. You know, if you could come out of it and, and if at the end of it, you can still experience joy and happiness, then that that's stress that is okay to deal with. If there's stress that really the end result is just black and terrible and dark and then that's different. But stress that you'll get through is manageable. So yeah, I'm, I, it is um, what it is. <laughs> I, I, I took a deep dive into the Vedic wisdom, like meditation and all of that. And what they, what I learned in that deep, deep dive was stress can be harmful to the body, to the psyche, etc. But demand, demand, if we see these challenging moments as demand on the body, then we're priming ourselves. Then it's the same as working out, right? Like when you lift a weight, you, you do actually like tear the muscle. But what happens when the muscle comes back? It's stronger, you know? But I, I do think that that does require some, you know, some mindfulness, some thought around it. Because if you did feel bad, if you did feel badly, you were in physical pain, you had to deal with it. You had four children. How old were your children during this entire ordeal? It was just last year, so ages 15 to 5. Oh my gosh. What's it like having teenagers? We haven't had um, anyone on with like teenagers yet. It's great. I have two teenage sons. It's great. Um, but they're men. Like, it's like they're in camp now, and you know, the camp sends you photos of the kids. And like most of the parents will screenshot the photos of the kids and they're so cute. And I said to my friend the other day, I'm like, I'm not screenshotting. It's like creepy. They're like grown hairy men, like four grown hairy men. Like, what am I going to screenshot this for? Like if somebody sees my phone, like it's creepster, you know, like they look like they should be going to work on Wall Street, not like, like play around in camp, you know? And this is just um, at 15? He's 16 now. Oh my God, 16. (gasps) Yeah, but the 16s today look like... Adults? uh, 16-year-old boys did not look this way when I was a teenager, let me tell you that. They're just like adults? Specifically, yeah. They're like big and muscular (laughs) and... They didn't look this way when I was growing up, but um, it's good. It's great. They're they're really good kids, so I'm blessed. How do you... um, How do you navigate having... I know I keep saying four children just because that's double the amount that I have. 
Um, and your your youngest, you have three sons and one daughter. Is that right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I may assume. Um, so beautiful. I just I have two, and I'm like, this is a lot. How, how, it is a lot. It is a lot, right? Yeah, and it's four a lot. Cookbooks. But as they get, yeah, for other children, no. Mm, no, I love the kids more than the books, but um, Good <laughs> it's look, it's hard. It's it's hard, and it's a hard time to raise kids. I think. Yeah, I think we're much more um, involved and uh, invested than our parents were, and I don't think they're better off for it. I think we're better off, um, but. You know, just make it work. You think, um, like, the hovering and the overthinking and the, it's not good for them and it's probably not good for us either. Can you speak more to that? (laughs) I just feel like, um, I think that I look back to my childhood and, of course, it was not perfect. No, no, nobody had a perfect childhood. But, like, I think the independence that my parents gave me made and gave my siblings made for independent, strong opinionated, hardworking people. Yeah. Um, and I just think it's just a very different time now. And I don't, I don't think my parents spoke to my teachers and ever looked at my homework or, you know, you know, even like when it came to college, my parents were not involved with anything. <laughs> you know, I told my parents, oh, this is where I applied. This is where I might be going. They, you know, and maybe that's just my experience. Uh, obviously, different people have different experiences but I think that um that helped me a lot and I, I try to remind myself that because when you're in this society and you're in the thick of it you know it's it's only normal to your environment plays a big part and you know you want to be involved and you want the best for your children and you worry but like I think the discomfort is is really good for people yes. in general for kids so yeah I really I want to underscore that that discomfort just like the demand I mean hopefully not as stressful as, you know, reconstructive surgery. That's one extreme, but demand in general, a little bit of discomfort is good for children and probably good for us, maybe just good for human beings. Right. But I do remember I had this distinct memory of us going out. I don't even know how old we were. I think you were probably 16. Maybe I was 13, but we were out. We had, we had a, you had on like, was it leopard, Steve Madden, high heeled shoes, and you're tall. And I was like, this woman with the style. I mean, I really, I was like, and you were so kind and so gracious. And you took me along hand in hand. You said, you like these shoes. And you like, we went and we got me those shoes. Like, I don't know if it was a Canada thing. I don't know. But I remember there was freedom. We did have freedom. And we did totally. have freedom to mess up. My parents sent me to Mexico with my girlfriends when I was a senior in high school. What? Yeah. What? Me too. I also went. I know. Crazy. I, I, I traveled and there were no, we were calling from payphones, waiting for the payphones to ring, uh, yes. you know, to get in touch. I, I was in Israel for summers at a time. Yeah, me too. 
the idea, and and that's not the case for your teenagers. Like, is that not? It's just different. We're we're way more connected because it's at our fingertips, right? And we're. We, I try to remind myself not to get involved. My my son, my oldest one, always tells me, "You're the you're the strictest of them all, and you're the you know you're all my friend. None of my friends have a curfew, and I have a curfew." And I say, "Okay, none of your friends' moms love you as much as I love you," which I know is not true. I'm just like throwing in the Jewish guilt, you know. I mean, it's a good line. Yeah. It's a good line. I'm going to use it. Whether it's true or not, it's a good line. And some, some people need, you know, like, we also live in New York City in a different time. Right. That's a, that's a real right. thing, you right. know? And I also say to him, you're my oldest. Like, I have to mess up on you. You're, you're the guinea pig, right? Yeah. So. Thank you for saying that. Because even at five years old, I'm like, oof, that was not right. That wasn't it. I know. That wasn't it. I know. Right. But, but but that's I their job, that's, right? Right. You weren't the youngest. You were that the youngest girl. Of the girls, yeah, the third girl. Yeah. That was a t- totally different experience. I was the youngest by far. My brother's 10 years older than me, and my sister's 7 years older than me. So I had a right. lot more freedom right. than they did. Like, a lot more. Mm-hmm. And even then, as mm-hmm. we discussed, like, you know, that, that was more freedom than our kids have right now. Right. Anyway, food for thought. Is it different... Raising your kids in a different country? Uh, It's different because I don't have my family nearby, even though, you know, I do see them often and my parents come often and my sisters come often. It's different. Like I grew up with my, with my cousins, practically living with them, you know? Yeah. I remember meeting my kids. Yeah. And my kids don't have that, but it's, they still are. It's, it's amazing that they still are very, very close with their cousins in Canada and they have great relationships. So I actually, um, I know your, um, brother-in-law, his son, Michael is very good friends with Ness. Oh, that's so cute. Cause we, you know, they know live that. right around the corner yeah. in Brooklyn. Oh, so, so sweet. Funny. So, 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 so sweet. sweet. But they're much younger yeah. than your kids. So it's well, a whole other actually, story. My, Mikey and my little one, Jude, are the same, are just like a couple months apart. Oh, so. okay. So Ness yeah, also. Really cute. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. It's really sweet. They go to. So they go to the same school? They go to the same camp. Um, uh-huh. Ness doesn't go to Jewish school. Like I'm uh-huh. really branching out. So wow. let's see how that goes. I know, I know. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> but they do, he does go to a Jewish camp, and so does Michael. Yeah. They're on the same bus I together. heard it's great. They love it's it. It's so good. They, and he's in this program. The best time. He's in a program where they speak to him in Hebrew. And, like, they're so mm-hmm. young that the first three days, Ness was like, I don't like it. I don't like it. Right. And then three days in, he's like, and he loves it. And he loves it. And like, okay. It's clearly working. It's working. <laughs> like, that was cool. That was really yeah. cool. Yeah, um, so cute. So cute. Okay, I want to uh, talk more about your books, please, and yes. thank you. You got it. I know that, you know, this podcast and these conversations are really geared toward the mom-curious crowd. So a lot of our listeners are moms. I think we find mm-hmm. a lot of um, chizuk and strength and good feeling by hearing other people's stories for sure and also like every every person has their own bit of wisdom to share but when it comes to people who aren't mothers at all their love Mm -hmm. is usually their work right Mm -hmm. you know i i don't know were you a chef or a cook um before you had children Yes, I was cooking before I had kids, yes. And did you go to, you went to culinary school before you had kids mm-hmm. also? All mm-hmm. right. Yeah. And you always knew that this was your path? 
I always loved cooking. I always loved entertaining. I didn't think that I could ever make a career out of it, but um, here we are. <laughs> yeah. So yes, I mean, once I got really deep into it, I was determined to, you know, do something with it, but I didn't know which direction I would go in. Did you think about you know, being a chef at a restaurant or? So I've worked in restaurants and I knew it wasn't for me because also at the time I wanted to start a family and I wanted to be able to, to be home with my family. But I did do a lot of private chef work in the city. Nice. Um, and I wrote for a lot of food magazines. I really liked the editorial, the writing. I love that creative process. Um, yeah. The most. So I knew that's that's the direction I wanted to go in. It's interesting to hear, though, because, I mean, I worked in restaurants also as a hostess and as a waitress. I was a terrible mm-hmm. waitress. I was a great hostess. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, you just like put on, I mean, not to belittle the work, but you put on a pretty dress and a smile and like everything's right. fine. You just tell someone you have to wait right. a little longer. It's great. Um, but it's interesting to hear that even if that was sort of super exciting to you and I don't know if it was but that having children even before then you knew that you wanted a more flexible schedule Mm -hmm. yeah for me look I think every person is different and everybody should do what works for them for me it was important to um be with my kids to be home with my kids something I wanted to do it's something I love to do and something I was able to do most importantly So, um, I took advantage of that Yeah, and I'm glad that I did. Are you, so what, even when you're, when you're developing recipes, when you're writing, when you're shooting the Mm -hmm. content, you're still able to be really present with your kiddos? Well, when, when I'm in the thick of um, producing the book, like for the cookbook shoots and stuff like that, that's, you know, weeks on and off weeks where I'm not home, but the writing, the developing, the testing, all that I'm able to do from home. And when I teach cooking classes, which is the bulk of what I do, that's usually in the evenings or during the day um, when the kids are in school. What do you, what do you do? You teach cooking classes? (laughs) Yeah. Do you yeah. want to teach me? That's how this whole, like, sure, no problem. Is on so, Zoom yeah, or something? Teach, well, during COVID, I did a lot of Zoom, but no more. I'm over Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, I do a lot of in-person cooking classes. I do one-on-one. I do groups. I go to different schools, centers, community centers. Um, cool. All different, all different so- sorts of um, different situations. That's so cool. But yeah. it's, it's similar to sort of a freelance schedule. Like totally. when you have... Yeah. Like summers, mm-hmm. your kids are, you know, two of them are off at sleepaway three camp. Two of them are in camp. Oh, three. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so you get to just like hang out with little Jude? Yeah. It's yeah. so cute. Totally. But does that mean that you pour more of your effort and time into, you know, building your, your business and your client base? Yeah, I, I try to, yeah, I try to do it when I have more time. And like you said, take advantage when the kids are away. But I, I do it sporadically. Um, and I make it work somehow. I don't know how, but somehow. Do you ever get frustrated that, I mean, I, I would get, I get frustrated. Like, I wish I was like moving forward faster. Although I don't know, you have a pretty awesome career, so maybe you don't feel that way, but, but do those feelings ever come in where you feel like at a tug of war between these two sort of callings? To be honest, no. And like, I know I could be doing more, even like you talked about social media, like I'm so inconsistent. And so beloved, by the way, like 
so loved, so followed, uh, so sought after, so engaged with. So like, who cares? I mean, I mean, you, you could care. What? You're I'm more always, than welcome to care. But I just think like, who cares? I, I've always just stayed true to what felt good to me. I know that if I was lying in a hospital bed and if I had documented my personal struggles on Instagram live and I had gone out there, I know that more people would be interested. I know that I would have more followers. I know that there would be more buzz, but it's not something I'm comfortable with. And I've always just reminded myself to stay true to what feels good for me. If I post something and then I regret posting it, I'll delete it. You know, mm-hmm. I am a private person. I'm, I'm still trying to navigate this whole social media world. Um, you know, I'm not the type of person who's going to show my vacations and my homes and like, it's, it's not me. And I know that it would get me more interest, but it's just not worth it to me. Yeah. And your privacy, your security, your it's just for me to each their own meanwhile i love watching other people's stuff like i'm like oh my god you know so (laughs) who doesn't yeah so it's to each their own and um you know this works for me and people put up with it they're they haven't lost patience with me yet no we love you even appreciate some people even appreciate it that it's not too in your face um and so far it's worked but um you know really my passion has been to uh, what I've wanted to do, my goal has been to share my passion and to show people that you could cook and host and entertain and gather people around food in a simple, um, easeful, beautiful way. And that's what I've tried to put into these books. Mm. And um, people have really shown a great response. And so I'm so appreciative of that. I think the community, I mean, the, your your niche, I would say, is the kosher cooking, which is not a cuisine. It's um, mm-hmm. a, the, these are like dietary restrictions um, mm-hmm. that you would have to <clears throat> tailor make like non-kosher food to a kosher Mm-hmm. you know, meal. Is that right? So th- this is, this is your sort of, um, expertise that you, am I right. wrong? So, or am I just, yeah, I've always, no, no, you're right. You're correct. I've always eaten kosher and cooked kosher. And so it was just natural to write a cookbook, um, which all the recipes happen to be kosher, but that's what I like to say. This isn't yeah. a kosher cookbook that happens to be great. Yeah. This is a great cookbook that happens to be kosher. So although my following, I would say is mostly of a kosher, um, Jewish crowd. There are a lot of people who are not Jewish, not kosher, and are attracted to the simplicity of the recipes, mm-hmm. the style of the cooking and the setup, and and um, and also the books the themselves. Of the books. That's right. The yeah. aesthetic of the books are so. Um, they're just beautiful and clean. You know, yeah. I, I thank you. They, uh, and every time I see you, and I don't see you often, but every time I do, it really like reflects on you. Like it really, you. you have this sort of like clean lines, white shirt, you know, like, um, it, it, it is a sort of, um, you know, uh, culinary school aesthetic, like really right. almost French. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can bring that into your home by bringing these books in, right. you know? Thank you. Yeah. I just like simple, crisp, clean ingredients. And I like recipes that don't have a million ingredients. They're short. I like pages. I like a book. When you look through the pages, the recipe, the ingredient lists are short. Yeah. 
Um, you know, you, there's a lot of white on the page. That's what I like. It's, it's easy to cook from, and I wanted it to appear easy and inviting. I have to say that it does. And I'm the, I'm the person who posted, you know, on Passover. I was like, I somehow ended up hosting, right. and I hate cooking, and I hate cleaning, but I did it, and it feels really good. And I think that's when you reached out, and you were like, well, if you want to feel mm-hmm. good like that, I got a book for you. And right, so that's... That's the thing, like so many people want to invite people over, but they're so fearful of the cooking process and it's so much stress and it's so annoying and it's so much pressure. And so this book, The Modern Table, I really just wanted it to serve as a sort of guide for this is how you can host and this is what you could do in advance and these are the steps you should take to make it manageable and at the end of the day to enjoy yourself. Because if you don't enjoy yourself at the end of it all, there's really no point. I actually think that the food tastes better when the cook themselves, there's some, there's an idea in Ayurveda, <clears throat> which is a healing modality all to do with food, mm-hmm. um, that the consciousness of the cook themselves really is infused in the food and you can mm. almost taste it you can certainly digest it that if you're not having fun doing it if you're stressed out doing it which you know I often am because I don't know what I'm doing when I'm cooking right. it's not as delicious an experience right. when I'm flipping through the pages of your book I really do feel like there's an ease there's a calm there's a grace that Thank you. you that you're sort of transferring to me and mm-hmm. um, thank you yeah I really feel that way and I'm wondering if there are some tips that you do lay out in the book that you can maybe share with the audience so that you know they can have that in their back pocket sure sure so the first thing I say is keep it simple and stay organized so if you're going to be hosting people over this is probably not the time to try a new complicated multi-step recipe Go for simple, go for straightforward. Also, you don't have to cook every single thing yourself. Like if you have a bakery that sells amazing breads or pastries, pick them up. Like you don't have to be this like culinary, uh, you know, nobody's expecting that of you. People want to come and have a great time. So make a menu ahead of time. Choose simple, straightforward recipes, start with a shopping list, and then really keep a list of what you're going to do and when you're going to do it, and just work your way down the list. And many of the recipes in this book, all of the recipes in this book, basically say what part of the recipe you can make ahead. Can you freeze? Can you, um, you know, can you reheat it? And it gives you all the tips and tools and instructions that you need to make it as simple as possible. What's your favorite recipe? Oh my God. There are so many good recipes. There's a short rib recipe Mm -hmm. that's amazing. The Branzino is delicious. (laughs) Um, The cakes, I mean, the desserts are, these are all, all the recipes in this book are really my tried and true family favorites. How do you come up with so many? Like, is it like, you know, there's the saying, like, there's nothing new under the sun. Like, right. Like, how, how are there still more? Like, how? There's always more because there's, we're always interested in new ingredients and new flavor profiles and new um, uh, spices from different cultures and countries. Mm. And, you know, you read, you explore, you travel, you talk to people. You know, whenever I meet somebody new, I, I'm always interested in, like, where they're from. What did you grow up eating? What's the food of your culture? And that 
is very, very inspiring to me. And I, I get ex- like, I love this stuff. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm one of the two. I love this stuff. I get excited about it. And I love trying new things and I'll eat in a restaurant. And then I'll say, I want to go home and try to make this my own. How could a home cook cook this in a simple, straightforward manner? And then I'll play around in the kitchen and come up with some new ideas. But if you, so if you keep kosher, then like you have, like you won't be able to try it. So what do you do? Not everything. Look, I'm not, I don't want the kosher police to come after me. So I say everybody does this differently, but um, I'm lucky that I've been able to travel a lot and taste different foods, but I do, I do not eat non-kosher meat and I'm, you know, I don't mix meat and milk, but there's still so much available and out there to taste and explore. Particularly seafood, right? Because like if you do, if if some people, some people, kosher police, Mm -hmm. are you there? Yeah. Um, yeah. Some people do. They'll, they'll find. They'll find me. Don't do worry. Do they really? Oh, you know, I was thinking actually when we were talking about your following on social media and and in general your fan base. I think like, of course, there are people of all walks for sure because the food right. is just good. The food is just good. It's right. like when you go to Israel, you're right. like, uh, this has nothing to do with Jewish cooking. This is just good right. food. It's good produce. Right. It's good. Um, but I find like the Jewish community is so in love with you, and so. But I I also sing in Yiddish and like right. you know get up and still and tell Jewish stories and so I I I know of the kosher police but they're right. they're like the do they come after you or, or are, are they mostly <laughs> no for the most part I get the most lovely comments and everything but you know I I get it it's not I'm okay with it yeah and you don't the the the, the books themselves aren't like Jewish cooking no. Right. Yeah. No, they're just clean, simple recipes that happen to be kosher. Yeah. Um, but I also find it a lot, like, really fun to travel and to, you know, eat other people's foods. I think that's a really, like, a real portal into someone's life. Like, what are you putting mm-hmm. in your body? And, like... Right. And then mixing... So do you mix the cultures? Like, if you go from one place to another, are you like, wow, I wonder what this spice Sometimes. would taste like with this... Sometimes I do. Like, I love making, uh, like, a crispy rice dish that's a Persian mm. rice dish, tadig. You know I know You know it. it. Okay. So, like, sometimes I'll explore with, you know, um, let me make a tadig, but instead of using saffron that I would usually use, what if I, like, added some Asian-inspired flavors to it? Mm. What if I chopped up scallion and added a little soy, a little ses- toasted sesame oil, and... You know, I would never want to disrespect the food or the culture of the of the food where it originated. But that what I, that's what I think is the most fun in the kitchen is exploring and trying new things. Maybe I sh- won't call it tadig, but it's, you know, crispy rice with these amazing flavors. So. I mean, you couldn't. It's funny because, like, we live in such a touchy, sensitive yeah. world. And, like, I'm guilty of this experience also. But, like... It, you're allowed to cook whatever you want to cook in your home. I know. You know, like you can I call know. it whatever you want. Call it, call it papu. You know, crispy rice, basically white rice, like um, crisp to perfection with either butter right. or oil on the bottom right. is really good. It happens to come from Iran. Like lots of Jews like it. Like who cares what we call it? Like serve it I know. and enjoy it. You, if you want to put soy sauce on it, like go for it. Mm-hmm. But I guess you are a professional cook, so maybe you have to be more mindful of your words. Is that is that part of it? 
I think we all have to be mindful. We, like you said, we live in this crazy time. She's giving us five. And, That's what you know, she's, yeah. I know, I think. <laughs> I think we just live in, in a day and age where we need to be maybe a little overly sensitive. But I just, I do happen to love Tadig. And it was, I learned how to make it from my Farsi friend. And, um, you know, she's actually coming over this weekend. So maybe I'll serve her this new version and see what she thinks. Yeah, I, ha- I, I highly doubt she would be offended. I think she would be... Right. No, she'll love it. I once told her that I made like a spaghetti dish in, in this Tadig m- machine. And she was like, I love it. I'm making it. Oh, no. like crispy <laughs> spaghetti on the bottom? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, Kimmy, I would love to come over. I don't know where those like leopard Steve Madden high heeled... <laughs> By the way, Shoes I are. really remember them. Yes. You remember them? I don't know. Of course I remember them. They were but gorgeous. But I have an updated, I have an updated version. Because they were gorgeous. I mean, honestly, it was a real moment in my life. I was like, wait, am I a teenager? <laughs> is that what's happening? That is so funny. Is, is Kimmy Pekowski telling me that I'm a teenager and I can wear like gorgeous high-heeled shoes out on the town in Montreal and like my yes, parents can yes. <laughs> um, well okay so we're wrapping up is there anything that we forgot here that maybe you wanted to <clears throat> let our listener know where can we find you um, thank you send us send us off as you as you would at a so Shabbat you, meal you I would send you off usually with a, a goodie bag <gasps> but okay um, what kind of goodie bag I I always send my guests home with a little something, something. But yes, I'm like the queen of swag. So Wow, good to know. Yeah. But um, you could find me on my website, kimkushner.com, on Instagram, on Facebook. The book, the new book, The Modern Table, is available pretty much everywhere. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your local bookstore. And if they don't have it at your local bookstore, ask them to get it for you, yes. and they will. yes. And Judaica stores and, you know, just all over and spread the word and let me know what you think. I absolutely will. I'm, I've been loving it. I've been very inspired. Even just the, the writing um, around waking up and being inspired by food. Like I make my kids lunches now and I'm like, yeah, I'm inspired. I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut this in a cute way. And mm-hmm. yeah, you, you really zhuzhed up my, my life. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. You're so sweet. Um, I'm inviting myself over to um, your Shabbat dinner and, and your Anytime. Mimuna on Not Mimuna Night. Yes. One week post. I can't wait. Definitely. I truly cannot wait. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. And, Thank um, you. For real, let's keep in touch this time. Yes? Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.